Welcome to Chainsaw Matinee. Everybody take your seats. We have such sights to show you. I'm Kai. And Sounds. <laughs> and sounds. I'm Marty. And I'm Hannah. And today we are talking about Phantom of the Paradise. Shouts out to Hannah for recommending this for our podcast. Yeah, and it's really good. <laughs> shouts out to Aaron, my former co-worker, for like, being the person who showed me this movie. I don't know if you're listening to this, Aaron, but uh, thank you, because this movie slaps and it always makes me think of you. Yeah. Yeah, I fucking adore this movie. Like most weird uh, horror movies, this one was shown to me by my brother. Mm -hmm. And I, I just fucking love it. I, I think it's just a masterpiece of that weird 70s glam rock aesthetic um very campy but very sincere it inspired guillermo del toro um and they have been trying to develop a musical of it for so long it's got paul williams like literally this movie has everything it's a stefan sketch of the greatest nature <laughs> so good um and like on top of all that, it was directed by Brian De Palma, who did Carrie, Scarface, a um, bunch of other stuff. Um, but Maybe namely, Untouchables? Yeah. Um, probably the one that most people who are listening to this will know is Carrie, though. Yeah, and you see a lot of his visual signifiers that he would go on to use um, in Carrie. I think this was the last movie he made. Before making Carrie, because, like, before then he was kind of just this weirdo who made weird movies like this. And this flopped in a big, big way in the U.S. The only place I think it did well was Canada. Yeah, and, I saw um, <laughs> I saw that when I looked at the trivia, and I thought that was very mm -hmm. funny. Appar apparently, specifically, right? Winnipeg is where it did yeah. really well. <laughs> Those Hell Winnipegians, yeah. they got taste. Well right? done, Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, the thing that I find fascinating about this movie, and I didn't realize until I watched it this time, is um, it predates Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera by about 10 years. And yep. I was like, whoa, someone, because, you know, when you think Phantom of the Opera, you think of, like, the Lloyd Webber musical. But I'm like, nope, someone made a musical version of it before Andrew Lloyd Webber did. Which yeah. actually, Which, there fair, was another this... one, too, that I think was made before Andrew Lloyd Webber's, but it got, like, pushed back because, like, then his came into production and they were like, oh, wait, we can make money because yeah. <laughs> Andy's here. Um, I will say, though, like, this is also a retelling of Faust. Like, it draws a lot of inspiration. It's not just Phantom of the Opera, but it mm -hmm. it gives gives the movie the title, so. it's mm -hmm. It's like Faust... And there's references to Dorian Gray. Um, there's references. Could I kind? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering if I could kind of break the plot down a bit. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, love, I fucking love this movie. So um, the movie follows Winslow, who is a composer. Um, and he is trying to sell his music to the Paradise, which is an opening club run by this massive record producer named Swan 
who is played by Paul Williams, and he's an adorable little man. I just <laughs> think he's so cute. He was 30 when this movie came out. Yeah. <laughs> he does not look 30. <laughs> he does not. But yes, he is a very powerful producer, and he wants to use Winslow's music to open his new club, The Paradise, which is like a glam rock excess. Um, but Winslow is a very serious composer, and he doesn't want um, throwback Beach Boys uh, performing his music. He wants to perform his music himself, or when he runs to Swan, uh, he discovers there's a line of women auditioning uh, with his music um, for chorus girls, and he meets Phoenix, who wants to be a legitimate singer, who is seen for her talent, and after they um, try to force her to sleep with them in order to get the part, she runs out saying, this is not what I want, this is not art. And mm -hmm. Winslow sneaks in and tries to get Swan to explain why he stole his music. And then Swan frames him by planting drugs on him, having him beat up, having him sent to Sing Sing in the best transition of all time. It was so <laughs> um, funny. It was so good. Um, and also, y'all jump in if I'm missing any, like, big important bits. Um, oh, you're doing Because there's, great. like, a lot of details in this movie that are just absolutely delightful. Mm -hmm. Um... What happens next? Um, he hears that the the paradise will be opening, and I th what's the name of like the Beach Boys stand in? The they're Juicy like Fruits. Throwback. No, the Juicy Fruits. The Thank juicy you. Fruits. Sarah's favorite the beach band. Bums. And then they were called mm -hmm. something else after that, and I can't remember what their other name was. Um, there's like a few different bands. So there's the Juicy Fruits, which are the like um. The Beach Boys knockoff. Um, hold on. There's a list somewhere. So there is the Juicy Fruits. Um, there's... Um, oh, what is the... The Beach Bums? Yeah, the Beach Bums. Uh, the Juicy Fruits. Um, and then the... A uh, band that plays with beef is called The Undead. Yes, um, but this is kind of hearkening to that time in the 70s when, like, 50s music nostalgia was a big thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Grease came out, and it was huge. Um, and what is it? Like, Billy Joel had a ton of throwback songs. I think it was more, like, 80s-ish, late 70s, but, like, it was still kind of that era of nostalgia. And the movie even talks about how Swan brought that nostalgia to the U.S. He's just, he is the culture creator. He is, like, the god of music in America. Um, but anyway, Winslow breaks out of prison, runs to Swan Records um, in an attempt to destroy all of uh, Swan's... Uh, grotesque def defacement of his music and in the process his head lands in a, a record press and he himself is pressed mm -hmm. uh oh oh they also uh, stole his teeth and i think his vocal cords at the prison they did they did steal his vocal cords and his teeth in a not so volunteer experiment or study something like that and then after that he escapes and runs into the river he finds his way back to the paradise, grabs the coolest looking cloak and helmet you'll ever find in your goddamn life. Mm -hmm. um, and then he starts wreaking havoc on the theater in much the way the Phantom does. He plants a bomb in a set car during a Beach Bums number. And he is pretty much immediately uh, faced... No, he, he tries to kill Swan and Swan instead says, we'll play your music, we'll do it how you want. We can even hire Phoenix, the singer you really liked and who you were okay singing your music. 
he even rigs up the system so that he can um, sing the way he used to into this recording studio. Um, and he has him sign this contract in blood in a very funny scene mm -hmm. where he's like, um, what does this clause mean that my soul and body will be forfeited over to the party of the first part for any means they deem necessary? And he's like, it's a travel clause. Don't worry about it. I like the one that says all um, unapplicable um, uh, clauses shall become applicable <laughs> or whatever it said. It was really funny. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That was, it's a great bit it's of It's for like, your safety. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This movie's got some great commentary on um, the record or the music industry and how it like chews up people and spits them out, mm -hmm. especially creators who like rarely get the credit they deserve. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Phoenix gets the part, but Swan doesn't tell uh, Winslow that he's just going to make her a backup singer and he's going to hire this different singer to sing his work. And then we get... Beef. Beef. <laughs> Who is, I think, very much supposed to be, like, the meatloaf knockoff. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Beef so much. This was before beef. Rocky Horror Picture Show came out, I think. Um, but it, like, Beef fits in with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, like, so easily. Um. Rocky Horror was 1975. Yeah, I think I think this one was 1973 or 74. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, where is it? Uh 1974, one year before. Damn, yeah. they were they were pretty These two are like very good companion pieces. If you like yep. Rocky Horror, you're you're probably going to like this. Yeah. Um this one is silly but also ends very tragically, just like um Rocky Horror. Um <laughs> Um but, uh, also, I uh, hate to say it, but I think it's more, I don't know if competence is the right word, more put together, confidently made, like the story is tighter, mm -hmm. the shots are more like, you can tell a filmmaker really, really made this. Like Rocky Horror is beautiful in its own way, but this one's very cinematic in a way that Rocky Horror isn't as cinematic. Yeah. Um, I love beef. Yeah, the one thing I will give Rocky Horror is I... And we should, we'll talk about this later. I like the music of Rocky Horror a bit better, but this is really good too. Yeah, I I love the music in this one, um, just because it's it's specifically supposed to be very somber, um, while Rocky Horror is like a little more upbeat. Um, and this one, it fits more with the the tone of the movie for, um, like some of the music to be more somber, um. The songs that are upbeat are done so specifically to be blasphemous to the original piece that's played earlier in the movie. Um, mm -hmm. And I, uh, I don't know. It's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, anyways, back to Beef. <laughs> um, beef. So he sings the part. Um, Winslow finds out about it. After Swan tries to like wall him up after he finishes his cantata, which is like a retelling of Faust. Um, and then <laughs> there's this great callback to Psycho where he mm -hmm. <laughs> approaches Beef while he's in the shower, um, cuts open the the shower curtain, and then, like, shoves a plunger in his he, face. He and has, just says, if you ever sing my music again, I will kill you. It's so funny because, like, he has a knife in his hand and he uses it to <laughs> cut open the curtain. And you think he's going to, like, slash at Beef. 
with the knife, but then, like, out of nowhere, he pulls a plunger out and just, like, plunges him in the face. <laughs> it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and to Beef's credit, Beef tries to leave. Yeah. Like, but Be- then the stage manager, like, stops him and goes, you got a show to do. You got to do this for a swan. Mm-hmm. And there's a very funny exchange between them where it's like beef is like i know the difference between high reality and real reality and like he's like here take this and it's like he's like but i'll come down from my high if i do that he's like really sad about it (laughs) (laughs) so like beef is just like i don't know he's drugged out of his mind at most of the time but he's like still very competent it's very I appreciate funny. this because you can tell this is written by someone who has done a lot of drugs mm-hmm. <laughs> because there is nothing more relatable than I know the difference between like high reality and reality reality because I feel like that's true of most like people on drugs like they can tell like don't pr- use drugs as like a cheap excuse to like you know say you're not thinking straight it's like eh, eh. I don't know yeah the I and I do think like too and we'll get into this later, but like this movie is making a lot of commentary on like some of the scumminess in the music industry and like specifically Absolutely. producers like feeding singers just tons and tons of drugs and alcohol to like keep them energetic and like performing. And also to coerce them into doing yeah. things that they like, probably wouldn't. He brings, yeah, like he brings, uh, at one point, he like brings Winslow. He's like, here's your breakfast. And it's just a bunch of pills. Yeah. Like, God damn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then he he gets Phoenix drunk at one point and gets her to sign the contract. Um. So going yeah, back to. Yeah, when she clearly doesn't know. Yeah. Go oh, on, yeah, yeah. Going back so, to yeah, Beef. Yeah, dead. Um, he dies on stage because Winslow throws a huge neon lightning bolt at him. It's a um, great and, scene. And it electrocutes mm-hmm. him to death on stage. Um, I love Beef mainly because off stage he's a completely effeminate and wonderfully gay-coded. Um, like, it's great. Um, and but like on stage he like sings with this like deep like kind of weird glam rock voice and it's it's very like you know like his persona doesn't match like who he is really on stage like on stage versus like personally and i just think that's really fun Mm -hmm. well and i feel like there was this commentary and fear at the time with glam rock especially that it was um it was adding like questions of gender and gender expression and like mm-hmm. a lot of people were getting really nervous about that and claimed it was just commercial crass like mindless entertainment but like no it was actually a really interesting exploration of sexuality mm-hmm. and gender and just being willing to play with these things and that's why i love that era of music so much because you get like bowie you get um i'm trying to think uh the runaways eventually came out of that era just a lot of really fun um different acts that are just great mm-hmm. expressionists stuff yeah. and then it of course gave rise to the punk movement the hair like just so much rock has to tribute glam rock and glam rock i feel like didn't get a lot of um appreciation at the time even this movie sometimes i feel like it loves it but it hates it at the same time it because definitely I guess... does yeah yeah 
Because, like, Winslow and Phoenix start out as more of kind of folk rock singers, kind of a la Janis Joplin and Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Phoenix is kind of, eventually, after Beef is killed, they replace Beef with Phoenix. And Phoenix becomes this huge star. And she tells uh, Swan, I'll do anything to get that crowd again. Um, and Winslow warns her, like, you gotta escape this place. It'll consume you and spit you out. And she's like, I don't care. And then she sleeps with Swan, sells her soul while she's super high. And she doesn't really know what she's doing. And then she she just seems to kind of be corrupt. I think she's even talked into marrying Swan. Yes, yep. that is the, the yes. big climax. That's the big thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're planning a huge wedding that's gonna be televised on TV. And he's planning on murdering her so that sh- her fame doesn't overshadow his. Um, and it, like, kind of plants him as, like, I don't know, a victim of all of this because, like, his bride-to-be was just murdered. Um, yeah. And because uh, uh, I think it's, like, a recurring theme that shocking things, especially, like, shocking things that happen to musicians brings a lot of attention and a lot mm-hmm. of times when a musician dies people will look back and be like their records oh, goes so great yeah. like yeah, yeah. Um, they sell more records when they die than they do when they're alive and yeah. that's so. it, i remember hearing like when michael jackson died i remember hearing about the numbers and how like he had sold like 10 times more records that summer that he died than like any other time during his life Mm-hmm. Which is very Which depressing. I pray yeah. we're getting uh, we better with it now. find out mm-hmm. that Swan has uh, made a deal with the devil. Yep. To be... Oh, that scene is so fucking funny. Yeah. So while Winslow is, like, creeping around, he, like, f- gets into Swan's, like, personal room and um, finds, like, all of these tapes and he finds one that like when it starts out it's like swan's suicide tape and then the devil shows up in it and he's like well if you want to live forever why don't you just like sign my contract and then like also makes him promise that he has to watch the same video over and over and over again every day to see um his picture aging while he doesn't age in real life so a la dorian gray um Mm -hmm. just uh, the devil says to see how lucky you are um which is i don't know if it's lucky per se (laughs) um but like yeah that's a that's a thing and so they find and real quick after um winslow sees phoenix and swan together he tries to um stab himself in the heart Mm -hmm. but uh swan reveals that since they are he made a contract with him as long as swan is alive winslow will survive but if swan dies winslow dies winslow dies because um if you kill the person you're under contract to then like whatever wounds or whatever that you've incurred while you know being under their contract will like suddenly reopen and kill you which is really interesting. Um, I kind of like that as a uh, like a plot point. It's very interesting. Not something that you would see in like these kind of immortal uh, like stories. Um, yeah. So during the wedding, um, Winslow interrupts 
and stops the assassination and oh before this uh, he burns all of the tapes because he he finds out that the tape is the contract that um swan signed basically um so he burns all of these videotapes um that swan has and then um because he does that um swan starts to age um and the makeup they put on on Paul Williams to show that he's like a rotting corpse man is a little funny. Um, it doesn't. It looks like they just kind of spread mayonnaise and ketchup on his face a little bit. That's not uh, what happens when you age. What? No, I think it's supposed to be like his face melted off or something. But um, mm-hmm. it just it looks odd in retrospect. Yeah, and then um, he kills uh, Swan. Yeah, and then he slowly starts to bleed out, and he's kind of chasing after Phoenix um, because she recognizes him from the audition. Mm-hmm. But then he dies, and then she decides, like, "Oh wait, I know him. He was nice." And then she kind of cradles his body as the rock and rollers kind of writhe around them. And they're all partying. And yeah, no one, dead. no one really cares about the fact that um, Swan or Winslow just died in the middle of the crowd they're just kind of more interested in the music and like the the big spectacle which you would think the death part would be kind of a spectacle but they don't really care about that and it's kind of a point about how the masses are more interested in the product than the uh makings of based on the uh artist and producer dichotomy um and then you have phoenix who is like the the bringer of said product because she's like the performer and everything it's a really interesting kind of dynamic and uh discussion on um like music industry and like actually just kind of like creating collaborative art it's very fun Yeah, and instead of, like, the original Faust, where I believe everyone goes, everyone dies and goes to hell, except the girl. Um, In this one, uh, everyone dies except Phoenix. Phoenix is alive. Hey. Um, There are a lot of references to other things in this, um, in this movie, too. Like, um, there's a lot of psycho references, um. I watched a video essay about this movie and they pointed out that like a lot of bird motifs are in this one, um, which is the same as in like Psycho. And then you have like the scene um, in this one with the plunger and beef that's parroting Psycho. Um, The kind of deal with the bomb Mm. is very much like um, Alfred Hitchcock's like methodology of suspense. Mm hmm. Um. And then there's, um, there's, like, references to Citizen Kane with, uh, Swan's character, and, like, it's, like, just, like, a bunch of pick-and-choose of, like, different old tales and, like, uh, like, famous movies, and it's just, like, kind of all smushed together, but it works somehow, and it's, like, it's done really well. Yeah. It's, like... I just, hmm, I don't know what to say because I just really think this movie is so well put together. 
like the editing, the acting, the music. It's just mm-hmm. it's just a really well made movie. Mm-hmm. It really I, is. Yeah, I think my favorite song because I honestly I do have a hard time oh, remembering yeah, not to the, the music songs of this show like it's not like rocky horror where it feels like oh yeah hot patootie oh yeah that one which is why i think hot rocky horror has more of a this cult one standing than this one this one this has... one the music feels more cohesive though like it feels like it's all got a similar theme and it's oh i mean it's vibing with that theme it definitely i've listened i at work today i was able to listen to the soundtrack five times over um <laughs> while i was working um and many of the songs are the same song played in different ways um Mm -hmm. so it it's definitely it doesn't have a lot of diversity but like there is definitely um like a theming of like a product at its beginning stage um the bastardization of it um based on like the wishes of the creator um adding on to things from like the producer and then you have like other things going on with it um it's like i i love the way that they take the song the song and then just like kind of make it into like something totally different and it doesn't fit at all um (laughs) uh it's great um there's there's one the the beach bums which is the beach boys knockoff they do they do a version of the faust song but they change all the lyrics to be about driving around in your car and it it sounds bad but it sounds peppy and fun and poppy and like it does what it it sets out to accomplish which is like when you when you take like the original song it like plays immediately after um, so you have the version that Winslow is singing, and then immediately after you have the the Beach Bums version. You're like, this sounds awful in comparison. And it's because of, you know, all the things that happen in the movie, the, like, stealing of the work, the making it into something cheesy and different and kind of superficial. Um, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to ask you guys if you have a favorite kind of song or song piece uh, that sticks out in your oh, brain. Oh, I That's love hard. Beef's Beef's song, When He Dies. I love Beef's song, but I think my favorite is Old Souls. That's like Phoenix's like main song when she sings, and it's the song that plays when Winslow tries to kill himself up on the roof while he's watching Phoenix and Swan... Uh, make out i guess um but it's it's like a really sad song and it's it's like not a version of a song already played in the movie um it's really good i don't know it's it's just one of my favorites yeah i am it's hard to pick because i really like all of them i really like honestly i like the song that the juicy fruits are singing when we're first introduced to them. Oh it's yeah, like goodbye, about- yes! goodbye. Yeah, it's like about a Which singer is- who commits suicide because his sister is sick and can't afford her hospital bills. So he decides if he dies, he'll sell more records. So he commits suicide mm-hmm. to sell a lot of records and pay for her medical bills. And it's like just this weird, like tragic 
kind of folk ballad and like that is mm-hmm. totally the kind of thing I listen to on the regular so I I really enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really funny that this movie has an opening number about uh, a character that we never see named Eddie and then <laughs> a year later Rocky Horror Picture Show comes out and you have uh Meatloaf as Eddie. <laughs> yeah in that one it's just very funny to me my favorite is probably between i really love the eddie song i was gonna bring that one up too um but also the song that actually plays over the end credits the hell of it i think is what it's called yeah that one that has like it's just so upbeat and it's just kind of paul williams like singing about the themes of the movie and kind of the whole very it's honestly a very bleak song honestly it's honestly kind of a very bleak song but set to such an upbeat like bright tempo yeah and i just kind of love that combination i think it's the perfect um representation of this movie where it is talking about some very bleak and horrible things but also the aesthetic is just so bright and vibrant and energetic Mm -hmm. that it has this perfect balance and you really do feel so bad for winslow like that man goes through the ringer yeah yeah um, I, I love the end credit song so much. Just like, he's like, uh, you died, but we're not gonna miss you. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> and I think it's very poignant to point out that, uh, Paul Williams is the one singing it because earlier mm-hmm. in the movie, we find out that like, because Winslow doesn't have a voice anymore, um, Swan gives him a voice box, but when they're tuning it, Swan makes it sound like him. So the very end song could be either of them singing it. It's it, like, I love that. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm not sure if we brought it up yet. I'm pretty sure we did. But Paul Williams, um, who stars as Swan, also wrote and uh, composed all the music in this film. He actually didn't talk about it for the longest time because this movie didn't do well. Um, and he considered it like uh, a blight on his uh, record. Which is- and he went on to... Um, write the music for the Muppet movie, like, moving right along, uh, the Rainbow Connection, um, so he wrote some really iconic, beautiful Mm -hmm. music in the Muppets, but also I think that it's great that this movie has found such a following, and that people, like, Guillermo del Toro, there's a story where he went up to him at, like, a signing or something and gave him Phantom of the Paradise, and Paul Williams was like, really? This? Okay. And he's like, yes, it really inspired me. And uh, many years later, they're now collaborating on a Pan's Labyrinth musical that's supposed to be coming out sometime, you know, pandemic time, so you don't really know when things are going to come out, but they're working together now. Paul Williams is, like, 80, and honestly, he doesn't look that bad. He does not. It's pretty good. Yeah. Did he sell his soul Um, to the devil? Probably. Um, I, I love Paul Williams. Um, I, I was going to point out the very end credits. Once he's done singing, you get this little like, and I remember like sitting there when we got done with it last night when we were watching it and I was like, this sounds like something from the Muppets. I'm like, well, that, that makes sense. Cause he did the music for the Muppet movie. So <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and people forget, like, with the Muppet show, it was originally just, like, this showcase of puppetry and, like, cool music acts merging together. Like, they had Alice Cooper on, they had Paul Williams on, Mm -hmm. they had Elton John. Like, they were not the kind of, um, 
Disneyfied version of the Muppets I feel like most people think of today. As much as I, I respect it for what it is, but like the Muppets back then were a little edgier. They did a little more rock and roll. They did a lot of fun stuff. Well, they um, always made a point to have whoever hosting choose what they wanted to do on the show. Um, mm-hmm. So like, um, I don't remember who it was. It was like one of the very first hosts. She She was um like a singer i think but she decided that she wanted to do some like silly acting things instead of just singing a song um and so like they that was like one of the things that like i feel like made the muppet show as good as it was was because like you know it wasn't just like you're gonna do this on the show it was like you know more collaborative (laughs) (laughs) yeah well, and um, a lot of kind of like this style where it was very visually glamorous and rock and roll and very out there aesthetics. Like, mm-hmm. of course, it wasn't as bloody as this is, but yeah, no, but it's, it's really cool to see. It was still extremely colorful. I mean, it's the Muppets. Every every single puppet was a different main color, very bright and vibrant. Yeah, and I know it's kind of strange that we're talking so much about the Muppets, but I feel like it is very emblematic of this 70s mm-hmm. style of just heightened theatricality. Like, this literally is an opera. Like, it's a rock opera. It's, like, the first, mm-hmm. at least I think it is, someone correct me if it's not, the first, like, American kind of glam rock opera that was present in the time. And I think it's really fascinating that it did not do well, uh, kind of in the same way Rocky Horror did or... Oh, God, Tommy, I think, was the other big rock opera that had come out around this time. And just how everyone... It's funny to me that everyone called this so crass and commercial and aesthetic, but really it financially just didn't do well. (laughs) Except in Winnipeg. Yeah, that is very interesting, because, like, it just... I don't know. Like, it seems like it should have a bigger following than it does. Mm Mm-hmm. Tommy came out in 1975... Um, the other one I'm thinking of is Sergeant Peppers. Um, mm-hmm. let's see. Well, and that kind of delves into out. more of the, the, the other side that rock was kind of going, the side that, like, most yeah. dads kind of adapted the psychedelic kind of more, I don't even know what, the, psychedelic is the main thing I'm thinking of, but it just had, like, a slightly different vibe. It wasn't as in your face with the sexuality and the androgyny and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Sgt. Pepper's came out in 1978, and it has an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> what? Dang, okay, I don't agree with that, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh. For some reason, I thought that was a classic, but I think I'm thinking of Yellow Submarine. Maybe. Wait, are we t- talking Tommy or Yellow Submarine? Because I know Tommy didn't do well. Tommy came out in 1975. When did Yellow Submarine come out? But was Yellow Submarine the one that had the bad rating? No, it was Sgt. Pepper. Yellow oh, Submarine came out okay. in 1968 and it has a 90- mm-hmm. 95%. Um, well, and this is just super fascinating to me because now we have, and I haven't seen this yet, granted, but we have Elvis in theaters right now, which is made by Baz Luhrmann, who is notorious for being glamorous over the top. Like, he made Mm -hmm. Moulin Rouge, he made Gatsby, and just this very in-your-face style, and it's about one of the most infamous celebrities who lived and died and kind of had helped create and solidify that rock star legacy, and even had that, like, 50s style. So I just think it's fascinating 
how that mythology has evolved and if we actually... Because to me, it feels like this movie is taking a much more critical look at what we do to celebrities and rock stars than Mm -hmm. most biopics I have seen. Because we see the fall from grace, we see everything, but it doesn't feel like it really has anything to say about the industry that did this to them. It's just, you know, trying to, like, remind people you knew this thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's like it treats it like it's normal. Like, oh yeah, getting addicted to drugs is just a normal part of making music. And it's like, uh, actually, no. Yeah. And this this movie makes a point to make a a joke about doing drugs, mainly just because if you make a joke about it, it brings more attention to it. And then making it copious amounts of it makes it you go, oh, that's not normal. It's also really fun to see Brian De Palma just start to develop his visual, as we kind of talked about this earlier, where he has the split screen effect that I love yeah. um, where you see two perspectives on one event where you see like during the rehearsal, you see the people arguing on stage about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And again, forcing performers to like take drugs in order to do what they want um, versus the <laughs> Phantom of the Paradise planting the bomb and hiding. Every time his little head peeks out, the actor's eye is so huge <laughs> like in that mask. It's amazing. And it just makes me giggle every time. Yeah. And just that split screen effect is super fun and i i love how he develops it in carrie and yeah i just really dig brian de palma's visual uh, aesthetic i think he also does it in the untouchables but i haven't seen that one as many times so i'm not super remembering mm-hmm. yeah it was a really um i really liked that i thought it was a cool editing trick mm-hmm Trying to think what else. I want to talk about beef more. Can we talk about let's, beef? Let's, <laughs> talk, let's talk about beef. beef. <laughs> I, I want to talk so. about beef now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, He's... I don't even know what I want to say. I think we've said everything that needs to be said, but I just love him. And I love that. To me, like, he, yes, he's over the top, he's silly, but I think we're meant to love him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, there's I this, love him. S- yeah. Um, he's also mm-hmm. extremely queer coded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, like he some, is like, looking people up and down. This movie has some queer bits, like the that scene where there's all the women just like laying in the bedroom, like waiting. For yeah, Swan and Winslow is in a dress. <laughs> yeah, and he's like trying to sneak in to talk to Swan, and the ladies are like let's kiss each other because he's watching and we've got to like make him happy so he can get jobs and one of the ladies is like i wonder if he likes blondes and another girl goes i like blondes and just starts making out with her (laughs) like yeah (laughs) i i just super love i don't know the the over the top like kind of i don't know I guess tabooness of it, where they're like kind of making it seem like it's like I don't know. It's it's just a a fun thing to have in it, and I know they're like trying to point out like, oh, people will do anything to become famous, including like I don't know being or playing around with gender roles and all of this, but like. I don't know. I just think it's fun. I think it's fun that they have characters that are, uh, you know, kind of queer coded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and to me, beef doesn't seem like... It's funny that the that comes out in different ways, because I do see bits of his, you know, codedness in his performance. Like, he'll blow kisses at the audience. He, like, I think he sat on a guy. Um, and he's just so yeah. unabashedly there in his performance he's big he's loud he's he's too much and i love it and it's it's that's the thing of him mm-hmm. that i absolutely adore is and also off stage he is still that way it's not like i'm only pretending to have this effeminacy to sell records it feels like that's just who beef is like i feel like beef knows the game and he's playing the game but he's also not sacrificing himself if that makes sense the thing he plays up is his voice where he makes himself mm-hmm sound like like his voice sound deeper and like more i guess powerful than it does when he's not singing um and also real quick i won't oh go ahead oh i was gonna say i i really like him being a foil to phoenix because like he's like the embodiment of like he's doing music to become a famous persona whereas she's doing it because she just like actually enjoys singing and wants to give something to the audience where it's like mm-hmm. i don't know i love it i just love that kind of juxtaposition between the two of them i absolutely agree and something i didn't realize till you were speaking is beef is not a dick to anybody that i can recall he- like beef is a big personality and a little silly, but I don't recall Beef ever being a dick to, um, like, the other singers, the band. They're, a little they're... mouthy towards Swan, but that's that's all I can remember. When Swan comes in, he's like, you need to change the music to do whatever you want. And, like, I don't know. He, he says, you can sing it better than any bitch in the room, is what Swan tells him. And then he, and then Beef looks at him up and down. He says, you're right, Goliath. <laughs> Which is, like... I don't know. It's a little bit of a dick thing, but, like, the thing that, like, gets me is, like, the agreement in the misogyny, which, like, that's just a thing in the music industry. Um, it's and a I thing everywhere, really appreciate but, you know. how this movie portrayed it, though, of, like, with the, the battle female singers at that time, or female-identifying singers faced, was not being treated as musicians, but being treated as sex objects. And I do mm-hmm. feel like that is still a battle that is going today. It's like you have amazing, talented people, and there's so much that you can't get through the door unless, one, you have previously established connections, two, you're willing to sacrifice more than your fair share of comfort, which there are too many stories of people who have been assaulted, mm-hmm. um, and that you don't actually get to the chance to sing. You just... And, like, even when Phoenix gets the job, um, because someone she was nice to finally got a position of power who could help her, she was only, she was stuck in the chorus. Mm -hmm. And not because she wasn't good enough, it was just because they wanted something that would sell better. And all the options he picked in this great scene where he's, like, Swan is swiveling around a table in the darkness and considering all his options. You see, like, a country version, you see this, like, boy band, you see um, doo-wop group. that was such a fun Mm -hmm. scene. It is. I really so liked the country rendition, even though it was just like a small sip. It like a snippet yeah. is probably my favorite part of all of that. But when he gets Absolutely. to beef, and beef is just like, rah, rah, I'm like, yes, thank you, beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it was just fascinating to me, and like even the whole like you're better than any bitch in the room, and she's right there, and he wrote the music 
for her Mm -hmm. and even when this music is written for her she doesn't get to sing it and it's so disappointing Mm -hmm. and then when she finally does get it they're gonna kill her as soon as fucking possible Mm -hmm. it's just it's like a never it's the never-ending story of like shittiness in the music industry yeah Oh, man, it's a rough time in the world. But at least you can watch a movie that acknowledges it's a rough time while also giving you some things to make you go, yay, endorphins. (laughs) True. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much for suggesting this, Hannah. I'm really glad we got to watch this movie. Yes. It's... Me too. Probably one of my new favorite, like, movie musicals. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Phoenix's derpy little dance after her audition when she just leaves the stage. Yeah. I do love that bit. Oh, it's so cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But oh. yeah, I think there's just, there's not a single bit of this movie that I would change. I think it's just, it's this perfect little capsule of weird and campy and kind of sad, kind of beautiful. It's just very, it's a good movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love when they introduce Beef to everyone <gasps> and he comes out in a coffin yeah i love and that the, and then oh, like and when then he set yeah when he like com- caligari at the end mm-hmm. oh, and then when so he cool. comes out on stage and he's in the coffin but like being turned into like frankenstein or whatever i'm like okay yeah <laughs> it's great because this movie is able to understand that the excess of rock and roll culture as damaging and murderous to some people, but also it understands why this culture exists and why people gravitate towards it. And I think that merging is why this movie works so well. Mm-hmm. Yes. I find it really upsetting that it didn't do well when it came out because, honestly, I feel like this movie is so good. It's, like, it's done really well. Like, all of the mishmash of, like, different references and stuff work together really well. I don't know. It just makes me sad that this movie came out and Paul Williams was ashamed of it. Because, no. It's it's good. It's really good. It's so good. It's, and I it hope ahead that it, like, time. continues to gain a following. So, mm-hmm. for those listening, if you haven't seen Phantom of the Paradise yet, go watch it. Please. It's so good. You won't regret it. I, I agree with that. Ugh. Beef. 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 I sent, I sent my mom the soundtrack because she won't watch the movie. So at least she has the Paul Williams music. <laughs> yes. Uh, do we have any last thoughts? I love you, Beef. Beef. <laughs> Marty, you gave me flashbacks to that like video of the little girl. Uh, being, like, <laughs> I smell like beef. I smell like beef. <laughs> I smell I smell like beef. beef. (laughs) Which, I'm trying to think what beef would smell like. Probably marijuana, uh, glitter, if glitter has a smell, uh, hairspray. Cocaina. Cologne. Cologne. Lavender, I think. I think there's a little bit of lavender. Ooh, I like that. Graveyard dirt. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's not the worst smell. It's not. Absolutely not. I found out that there is indeed, like, a dirt uh perfume the other day yeah um, and someone showed us mm-hmm. that is wild and i kind of love that that exists i smelled it and was immediately transported to like when i was like really little and would help my mom in the garden it smelled exactly like potting soil 
I'm going to say that's what beef smells like. He smells like potting soil. <laughs> yes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Shout out to all of our supporters on Patreon. Um, special shout out to Jenna for being our highest tier donor. If you would like to support us financially, you can find us on Patreon at Chainsaw Matinee. And we super appreciate any money that gets thrown our way that goes towards our hosting fees, keeping our equipment updated, and now paying an editor. So thank you to everyone for supporting us. You can also keep up with us on Twitter at Chainsaw Matinee. Yes, we got like the actual the actual URL. So that's pretty sweet. Yep, it's just uh, how how you would spell chainsaw matinee. It's not chainsaw manatee. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes, so go go keep up with us. Oh, what am I forgetting? That's all our stuff. <laughs> Thank you for everyone. Again, I'm just so grateful to be doing this, and I'm feeling really good today. I I really liked this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great I like movie this direction we're going. Yeah. Well, Chains that being said, um, keep rocking and rolling, and may your nightmares be plentiful. Down to the beach, I'm strolling. <laughs> the seagull. <laughs> I can't sing the rest of that. I think uh, the guy that does a bad lip reading would kill me. <laughs> <laughs>